0: Hello, it is Yazin with you for the SCU Buzz podcast. Today I am joined with the wonderful Professor Les Christidis. He is one of Australia's most well known bird researchers. If you want to know about birds, he's the guy to call and he joins us today on the podcast. Good morning, Les. How are you? Good
1: morning, yes. I'm fine.
0: Yeah, fine. I can hear the birds chirping in the background. So clearly, you're having a good day if that's the case.
1: Oh, yeah. We've got a, a lovely yard here and we surrounded with birds. So at the moment, I can see pied butcher birds and magpies waiting to get fed. Oh, and a kookaburra as well.
0: Oh, lovely. We love that. Now, first up, most important question What is your favorite bird?
1: Okay, it's the African shoe bill. Very few people would have oh. heard what the shoe bill is. It's a stands about three feet high, three to four feet high, looks like a stork right? Crossed with a pelican. It's got a large bill that looks like a giant shoe and that and looks prehistoric. If anyone's seen some of the David Adborough shows on uh, Africa, they would have seen the the shoe bill. so Amazing bird.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to give it a Google after we finish here and investigate it further.
1: I actually flew from, I was on a holiday in Ethiopia and I flew from Ethiopia to Uganda specifically to see the shoe girl in the wild. So... That shows you it's a very
0: favourite bird. That's incredible, yeah. Now, during your PhD research, you found that the first bird song was heard in Australia and then spread throughout the world. Now, you've published over 140 research papers on the evolution of Australasian birds and mammals. How and why do birds sing?
1: Okay, it Birds are very interesting in that, unlike mammals and reptiles and that, they've got a different type of voice box. So, we've got a, a larynx, whereas birds have a small little vestigial larynx, but they've got a thing called the syrinx, which is deep in there where the lungs actually start and that. And this allows them to create a whole lot of different sounds. But in the songbirds, the syrinx has been modified, so it's got special muscles, so they can move and vibrate independently, which allows them to sing magnificently. So you can imagine if humans had the same sort of thing, you would get some brilliant vocalists. So you can't beat songbirds for its ability to sing.
0: Maybe we should pitch to the TV networks, the voice, but just for birds. (laughs) and The birds just come on and start singing and then the judges spin their chair. (laughs) Now, the evolution of birds is still hotly debated among scientists and um, people across the world. Where do you think birds originated from? Is that a question you can answer so simply in a podcast or is it more in depth?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, it's... It says how, how far back you want to go. And that's so, uh, you know, the origins mm. of birds. Well, it's pretty well established now that, or well, most people accept that dinosaurs and birds are the sort of same thing. So uh, when we look at birds, they're the last remnants of the dinosaur. And when I say last remnants, they're the most successful group of, you know, vertebrates around the world. You'll see birds anywhere you go. So, so birds are fine in, in where they came from. But where the actual modern-day birds originated has always been uh, controversial because I think it's because uh, most of the science started up in the Northern Hemisphere, so the view was always that everything originated in the Northern Hemisphere and then migrated down to the southern continents and that. Mm. But the the work that's been done on, on a number of groups shows that some of the major groups of birds, like not only the songbirds, but parrots, waterfowl, Pigeons probably all originated in the southern hemisphere in the, in the Gondwanan continent of Australia, Antarctica and parts of South America.
0: Right. Now, apparently, you have published over 140 research papers, which is an amazing effort. And I don't know if you know this, Les, but there's actually a paperback version of one of your books selling on Amazon at the moment for 920 US dollars.
1: I think some people have got more money than they need.
0: Do you have a sneaky copy for me that I could maybe try put on Amazon as well if that's the case? Um, but I say this because I want to know if you have a favourite piece that you've written that comes to mind. I know you have 140 so it's hard to sift through all of them, but is there one that stands out that you really were fascinated with researching and writing about?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the one that I, I probably like is a 1990 paper that we published in a British ornithological journal. And that was the, the first time I was able to publish the idea that the songbirds had originated in Australia. And that, mm-hmm. although we come up with the idea around, uh, what was it, 1987, it was fairly controversial. And, and it just um, got knocked back by you know, journals. And people just said, no, it's not possible. Songbirds are a Northern Hemisphere group. Australia's got very few songbirds relative to the rest of the world. How can the world's five thousand songbirds have originated in Australia? So it was a bit of a struggle, but we finally got got it published. So to me, that's um, I like that because of the first time it actually got published. Didn't get um, that much acceptance around, except in the media, because media always love stories about you know Australia taught the world to see them and stuff like that. And it was like,
0: yeah,
1: uh, what you know twelve, fourteen years later, when other groups using other techniques confirmed it, suddenly there was all this thing saying, oh, Americans have shown that the world's songbirds evolved in in Australia and that and it's it's nice to say, well no, actually I showed it in 1990 so so it's a nice little paper that one.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Where do you even start beginning to research something like that? Like how did that happen for you?
1: Uh, I'm I've got to admit I'm an accidental ornithologist and that. I was mm. when I was doing my undergraduate at Melbourne Uni, I wasn't interested in, in birds. I had no I mean my interest has always been in, believe it or not, mammals and not Australian.
0: Mammals. Yeah.
1: I'm interested in hoofed animals and carnivores, which so I was born on the wrong continent for my actual interest and in that. So <laughs> So basically, I, I, I was just interested in genetics, and when I started uh, researching various parts of genetics, it turned out that very little was known about the genetics of birds, and, that, and chromosomal mm. evolution in birds was very unknown. So to me, I thought that'd be an interesting area. I liked chromosomes. I liked genetics. I started studying that. And so believe it or not, it was my interest in genetics and then using as birds as a group to study their genetics, I started getting uh, got more and more interested in birds themselves. And that's using genetic techniques. I stumbled on the fact that actually songbirds evolved in, in Australia. So it was an accident. And, wow. and I became you know, more interested in birds then. But it was I never started off as, you know, my passion is birds. I want to study the evolution of birds and that. Even during my PhDs, uh, my idea was once I finished my PhD in genetics, I'd probably go and work in a hospital as a geneticist or something, never thinking, no, 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 I'm I'm actually going to work on birds and become an expert on birds.
0: Wow, there you go. Well, some of the best things in the world are accidents, so you can uh, definitely join the party there. Uh, What do you think the most misconceived bird is?
1: I I can be controversial here and say the most misconceived groups of birds uh, introduced species, for some odd reason, it's not the bird's fault that they've been introduced into a different country or continent and that, but people then, you know, oh, it's an introduced species. It's, you know, it's, and, I, and I find that hard to un- understand. So, you know, we get migratory birds that that come and go back. We get accidental uh, vagrants that come. They're sort of introduced, self-introduced now, in but if humans introduce a species, the bird itself is blamed and that so people will you know, talk about, you know, common miners, oh, they're introduced, they're, they're pests and that. They may be or they may not be. Some, you know, native birds like noisy miners really uh, beat up, you know, other native birds and that. But, so yeah, I I, I find it interesting. Why is it, for, you know, a spotted turtle duck it's an introduced species, causes no harm in that, but it's introduced, therefore it's bad. So... They're the most misaligned birds, I think, introduced species.
0: I feel like a lot of people are mean about ibises as well these days, the bin chicken.
1: Yeah, we've got four or five resident ibises in our backyard. And, you know, I don't mind them. I'll feed them bread and that. But then it does get annoying when they start hooking in the water baths and that the other birds and that so yeah yeah, they've got no table menace and that but yeah we've we've actually got uh, we've got habituated big chickens, as you say here but yeah they're they're nice but yeah they they can get on your nerves a little bit after a while
0: yeah not good on the first date I think chicken with the table menace so what do you think the biggest problem is at the moment facing Australian mammals
1: Oh, it's land clearing and land uh degradation and that not you know you know sort of like major tracts of forest being chopped down that's obviously a thing but it's little subtle things in that mm-hmm. where small bits of clearing you know uh, bits of habitat disappearing from other patches and that's so uh, we're fragmenting large areas of of the environment and reducing its complexity in that. So that's a that's a threat for not our birds and and, ma- and for our mammals and that. So I think that's the biggest problem. We're we're removing complexity from the habitats and that. And so and also fragmenting them so there's not enough movement between areas and that. So we're losing a lot of woodland species in, without even noticing it.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's anything as an individual like myself, is there anything we can do to help that? Uh,
1: I think just a little thing. I mean, it's it's hard for, for one person to do anything, but you can. I mean, like, you know, the show here, I mean, just getting people to, to talk more about it, having more, say, podcasts, having forums where we talk about what is it that's happening, having... Uh, People on the land talking about, you know, whatever happened to all the robins that were on your farm and that or what's happening over here? Just getting awareness. So people will lose Mm. something but never think about it and that. So our, our woodland robins are disappearing everywhere, but people just don't notice. Oh, yeah, I don't see them that often and that. So start conversation about why is it? Is it maybe pesticides are reducing the number of insects? Maybe, maybe not. Is it that there's too much, you know, patch patchiness of the habitats it may or may not be it. So you're not being accusative and you're not coming up with a solution, but what you're doing is raising awareness and then people will start questioning things and looking at things and you'll get the answers there because people in the country will know what's happening there because then I'll say, Oh, actually, when I cleared that little patch, all these birds disappeared. Or maybe I need to rehabilitate it
0: yeah, I guess creating the awareness in um a subtle way and not like aggressively, because that can turn people off if, you know, you're overly passionate about something. Sometimes people just close their self to being aware of what the possibilities of helping could be.
1: Absolutely. And and if you over dramatize things, you get to the stage where well everything's doomed, there's nothing we can do about it and that. But it's just little subtle changes awareness and as I said, doing in sort of in collaboration in a partnership without saying this is the reason for it. We don't really know that you know that there will ever be a single reason for things. But if you start up a conversation, start up a small narrative and all that, I think that's the way to move forward. Small steps can make big changes down the track.
0: I like it. Now I want to know what do you plan on researching next? Do you have anything in the works or is it top secret?
1: No, no. I mean, what what my interest at the the moment is on how we define what is a species and how that's used uh, by governments and policymakers in uh, conservation and in legislation and in all protection. Because if you think about it, we talk about, oh, there's a threatened species here or this habitat is really important for this species and that. But who says whether this particular bird is a different species to another population elsewhere in Australia? They'll say, well, taxonomists make those decisions. So taxonomists will tell you how many species of birds there are in Australia. I mean, some of my books were the number of species in Australia. But who governs the choices I make? How you know, where's the the rigour on on the governance? And there's lots of Different lists of birds of the world. There's four different lists of birds of the world. They can't all be right, and they can't all be wrong in that. But different groups uh, are looking at things differently. So, one of the projects I'm leading internationally now is trying to reconcile all that and come up with a single list of the world's birds. But also working on what are the the reasons as to why we're accepting one decision and not another and how we can make that transparent so that, you know, when governments and policies are being developed, government policies being developed around a particular number of species, we understand, you know, what the robustness of that is. So it's more about how we use the information now to make decisions that will influence, you know, land practices, you know, uh, protection, all sorts of things, and I think people haven't, People have accepted it, that, oh, well, the taxonomists know what they're doing. My question is, and who's governing that to make sure that they do know what, what they're doing? And we published a paper with a colleague of mine in, in Nature, which is the top-ranked journal in, nineteen. What was it, 2017, just that about the uh, anarchy in, in taxonomic systems and that, and that created a huge stir. There was a... One paper at 186 authors criticising us. and that, So we made yeah. a lot of, you know, not enemies, but created a, a stir. I mean, having a paper with 186 authors all saying you're wrong could take your back a bit, but we managed to do a rebuttal and nicely a number of those authors now have joined us in our group on coming up with governance of taxonomic systems and that sort of our critics have now become our partners and collaborators so that's that's my sort of research interest how do we use taxonomic knowledge to make decisions that are important to communities and society as a whole
0: yeah wow that's really fascinating and the fact that you work with 160 researchers that just blows my mind the logistics of that like I struggle with a four-person group assignment. I can't imagine that many people collaborating on one thing. It's incredible. Now, Les, I want to finish today. This could be controversial, but I want to quiz you on how well you know birds. I've got 10 questions here. Do you think you're up for the challenge?
1: Given that I'm an accidental ornithologist, I'll probably give myself four out of 10.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, if you get five and above, I'll give you a COVID safe high five. Okay. Through the internet. Okay. Are we ready? Yep. The first question Which bird has the fastest maximum airspeed and is classified as the fastest animal in the world?
1: Peregrine falcon.
0: Yeah. Number two What is the world's smallest living bird?
1: That be it would be a, a hummingbird, but there are so many of that. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's definitely a hummingbird.
0: The bee hummingbird. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll give you the point. Don't worry. I have okay. half a point. <laughs> Number three. Approximately, how many species of bird are there? Six thousand, eight thousand, or ten thousand?
1: Ten thousand
0: plus. Plus, that's it. Okay, number four. There is only one bird in the world which has nostrils at the end of its beak. Which is it?
1: It's the kiwi and there's about four or five species of
0: them. <laughs> You've already I got five. Up. i I'm just showing up. I'm
1: showing up Correct.
0: There. Yeah, you were being modest. Okay, let's see if we can get number five. Superb, splendid, purple-crowned and lovely are all species of which type of bird?
1: That one's easy, fairy rings.
0: <laughs> oh, I made it too easy for you, Les. Yeah, that one
1: does I didn't want care. to freak
0: you out. Okay, let's try this one. Flamingos are born with white feathers. What gives them their famous pink colour?
1: The algae they feed on.
0: Yeah, the diet of the shrimp yes. and yeah. stuff, which is fascinating. If only it was that easy for me to dye my hair. Just (laughs) eat some shrimp. I'd save a lot of money at the hairdresser. Okay, you're doing great, Les. Pica pica is the scientific name for which bird?
1: That's the European magpie.
0: Yes, you can hear them in your backyard, so I'm glad you got that one. No, no, no.
1: Ours are Australian magpies, unrelated to them. So ours are related to... Currawongs, isn't it? are related to crows.
0: That makes (laughs) sense. You've learned something, yeah. This is why you're the bird expert and I'm the podcast host. Okay, ready? True or false, mallard ducks are native to South America? False. Correct. What is the world's tallest living bird?
1: Uh, Ostrich.
0: Okay, can he get 10 out of 10? This is the final question. What colour eggs does a grey catbird lay?
1: Ooh, grey gray catbird. That's a North American bird. hmm yeah. I'd have to.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Yeah, no, I'm going to start. Probably be, I'd go for olive, olive grey
0: olive grey are you going to lock it in for 10 million dollars uh, I'll get it
1: right yeah no i'm not going to cheat yeah it's olive grey but it's going to be white i reckon
0: the answer is blue, blue. oh well yes so, so close
1: close enough olive grey blue
0: <laughs> nine out of ten that's a that's solid right. effort les <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on the SCU Buzz podcast, Les. It's been a pleasure. You've definitely opened my eye to the world of birds and I might even buy the $920 paperback on Amazon at this point.
1: I think there's a lot more. (laughs) Oh, that's a cracker! That
0: <laughs> I'll send you the link after yeah. the podcast. You can investigate it. All right. Well, if you want to read more about Les, give him a Google search. He's got plenty of stuff out there. Over 140 research papers. He currently works at Southern Cross University as the Associate Deputy Vice Chancellor in Research as well. So he's keeping himself busy. And I can't wait to hear more about your research. Thanks so much for joining the podcast.
1: My pleasure.